Howdy and welcome to On The Move. I'm Chelsea Reber and today I'm visiting with Dr. Jenna Yentes and Dr. Steve Reekman. Thank you so much for listening to On The Move. We encourage you to like, subscribe, and share the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Steve, I'm going to start with you. Can you tell me what is your current role with the department and how did you get involved with kinesiology and sport management here at Texas A&M? Uh, I'm an associate professor, faculty, um, standard faculty here in the department. Um, I came to Texas A&M after a brief stint at another university, coming out of my postdoc in genetics. And I decided after a little bit of experience that I wanted a big university with high-end and also a great culture, and I found that at Texas A&M. How long have you been here? 2005. Okay. Yeah. Great. Jenna, what about you? What is your current role and how did you get to A&M? I am also an associate professor here and I also serve as the interim director of the Huffines Institute for Sports Medicine and Human Performance. And how did I end up here? (laughs) The pandemic? I'm not sure how to answer that. I've been here a little over two years. I was in another university and um, my partner and I, we were recruited down here and so here we are. Okay, great. Now, Jenna, what are some of the projects that you're working on with Texas A&M right now? Well, we have been uh, doing a lot. <laughs> Today in our lab meeting, my students and I were talking about how we have seven active like studies that oh, we're wow. trying to collect, and so we're all trying to organize everything. But uh, for the most part, in my own personal research, we've been doing a couple different projects. One that deals with aging and another one that's looking at firefighters and the effect their turnout gear has on how they can perform different firefighting skills. And then in Huffines, we've been doing a few projects and looking more towards trying to work in to the military or tactical athletic side of things. And that has led to some really interesting collaborations. Dr. Reekman and I have been talking about how to collaborate because he has a super interesting pro- project with DARPA. Yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. So DARPA is Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. Okay. Um, it's a branch of the Department of Defense. It was founded uh, coming out of the Sputnik launch from Russia Uh America didn't want to be be behind in technology, so they started DARPA, and they've had many accomplishments since then, like inventing the internet, uh, the mouse, Windows, all all these GPS is another one. Um, so they started doing biological research uh, about a decade ago, and human performance is part of of that uh, pursuit. And so we were funded to find breath biomarkers of fatigue. So we're studying sleep deprivation, um, mental fatigue, and physical fatigue. Very important problems for soldiers and airmen. Um, And the idea is that if we can find breath biomarkers of fatigue, we can track fatigue in real time. And when the biomarkers of fatigue start showing up, you know that they are no longer ready to perform at their best. So explain that when you say breath biomarkers, Mm -hmm. truly you're just testing their breath? So in our experiment, we progress them to fatigue through the different uh, types of fatigue, and we collect a bag full of breath um, at each stage, and then 
We take those chemicals, get absorbed onto a tube, and then we do sophisticated biochemistry analysis called mass spectroscopy. And we measure every chemical in the breath. And our breath uh, has thousands of chemicals in it, and it all comes from our physiology. So as our physiology is changing, our breath is changing, and the chemicals in it is changing. So DARPA does high-risk studies, but they do studies that have the potential for major breakthroughs. And, um, and so uh, we didn't know if we would find anything. Um, it's a high risk. I mean, we could have found nothing. Um, but I, we're, our data analysis is progressing along, and we feel very confident now that we're going to find the biomarkers. And so then the goal would be if they were out in the field, they could test their breath and then know it is safe for them to continue or it, it should be something where maybe they need to get more sleep? I mean, is that kind of what's the goal that you guys are looking for? Yes. So the goal is also to be able to distinguish between the types of fatigue. So if they are identified as fatigued, you could say, take a mental break. Right. You need sleep or no more um, rucking with doing physical activity. Mm -hmm. um, so... Um, the idea could be that we could develop a very inexpensive sensor that could go in every soldier's helmet, every pilot's helmet, and you could have continuous monitoring of that biomarker. And, and so when they hit a red line, that data can be, I mean, we know it can be transmitted to commanders who can make decisions for large numbers of uh, military personnel. Because right now they're kind of just trusting soldiers to say, hey, I'm good to go. Well, actually, if you the military's protocol for pilots is simply, and I've I've asked many pilots this, and they all say it's accurate. Uh, their protocol is they ask them, "Are you tired?" They say no. They fly, and and that's about as sophisticated as it is. And they are definitely looking for more sophisticated ways. And this is a potential more sophisticated way to do that. Of course. And then, you you know, because, again, you have people who are probably thinking, I don't want to say I'm tired. I don't want to, to have that kind of, I guess, guilt or, or feel that I'm not giving enough. And so they're saying, hey, I'm good to go. This is a... a could be an incredibly, you know, accurate way to tell whether someone is ready to go or not. It's objective. Right. And it takes the decision or the subjectivity out of it. Yeah. Incredible. That's very fascinating stuff. Um, Jenna, could you tell us about the Huffine Institute's involvement with tactical athletes? You mentioned that a little bit just to go, um, especially relating to the military, the firefighter, and the law enforcement personnel. Here in kinesiology at Texas A&M, we have been essentially doing cardiovascular health profiles for all of our local police, fire, task force, FBI, it, it just whomever is in law enforcement and uh, fire service, even beyond that, we've done some paramedics and we do a comprehensive evaluation of them. So they come in, they have a DEXA, which is one of those body scanners you lay on this table and it this like x-ray machine kind of moves over you and it tells you, you know, how much bone density you have, how much muscle mass you have, how much fat mass you have, which no one ever wants to know. <laughs> um, and then uh, they do a strength test and they do what's called a VO2 test. So they get on this treadmill. You've probably seen it in commercials. I think I've actually done one of these. Yeah, yeah. where you have the it's mask. It's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, you have either a mask or a tube that's in your yep. mouth and a nose clip. So you breathe totally through your mouth. 
And it's a protocol that the treadmill keeps increasing in speed or incline until you just cannot go any further. And so we have a number on the wall of like the longest somebody's been able to go. And right now the record is 19 minutes and 11 seconds. That was actually a college-age tennis player. So okay. <laughs> we don't usually, but they, we have a Brian Fire Department cadet that went, I think it's 15 minutes and 31. Wow. So that's, for the law enforcement, that's like our, okay. everybody, they all joke about it and they come in, they're like, I'm going to destroy that number. And literally, I, for myself, after like nine, 10 minutes, I'm like, I'm going to die. I have to get off this thing. I was going to say, what's kind of a normal time for most people? It really depends. Okay. Individuals that are fairly sedentary, they might last, I don't know, what do you think, three, five minutes? Um, well, that's really sedentary. I would say eight to 10 is... Okay. I deal modest. with older adults. <laughs> <laughs> so older, sedentary, older adults. It's, it's, it's yeah, usually sure. if they have not done, it, it's pretty short. Okay. But I'd say, yeah, middle age to younger adults, mm-hmm. you probably get them about eight, 10 minutes. But then most people last probably, do we see 11, 12, some that are in a bit more fit. And so essentially what that is telling you is essentially how efficient you are at utilizing the oxygen that you're breathing in. And that gives us an idea of overall physical fitness or cardiovascular fitness. The same time, we will do those with an EKG on or those EKG leads. And then we can find out if there's any underlying cardiac issues. So we have faculty that are experts in reading those, but we also bring in a physician. So every time we're doing this for the law enforcement, there's a physician in the building and we've done blood draws. And so we have all their blood results and each one of them then gets to see a physician and go over those results. And there's been quite a few things that we have found and been able to basically prevent some sort of incident later on a heart attack or something along those lines. So it's been a really successful program we hope to keep continuing it. I mean, it's been going for almost 30 years now, so I don't see any end to it. But um, So that's one thing that we've been doing quite a bit. The other side of it is we've been recently speaking to the Commandant of the Corps of Cadets. They would like to implement some sort of testing for their cadets. Now you're talking 2000. And they're trying plus, to get even yeah, more, yeah. Exactly. So how can we do something similar in a very short period of time, something that only takes a few seconds or 30 seconds per one, you're not going to get that full profile, but at least it might give you an indication of somebody that may need to go into that full profile and then have additional testing done. So we're in conversations to try to sort through how to do that. And then we've also been trying to be the umbrella at Texas A&M that we're trying to gather all the people working in these spaces and create some sort of research center or some sort of umbrella for them to fall under so that they can collaborate. People aren't um, duplicating work or having redundant work just because they don't know each other's doing the work or complementary work. You know, there's some things that people are doing that somebody sent me something about occupational trauma the other day, which is a really interesting thing. So you might have some firefighters, some people are doing some physiology study and firefighters but adding maybe this occupational trauma type kind of incident reporting or whatever it may be on top of that would give you an idea maybe of psychological wellness as well as physiological wellness. So not just looking at one aspect. So that's probably a little bit more than you wanted to know, but that's in general what we've been working on over there. No, that's great. And I I think 
you know, the firefighters are getting this individual information that Mm -hmm. could obviously help maybe even save their lives down the line. Um, how does the, the research that you're doing then benefit future people in that industry? Okay. So (laughs) in Huffines, we don't do research in and of ourselves. We support research. Mm -hmm. And, but my personal lab has been doing some research in firefighters where we have been working with an individual that her focus is in the mobility and range of motion wearing turnout gear. And a lot of times, well, not a lot of times, always we come in different shapes and sizes. All of us are different. So if you think about a really short firefighter that has an SCBA, that's the breathing apparatus of those air tanks that they're Mm -hmm. running, wearing on their back. And then you have a helmet. They can't look up because that helmet's going to hit that SCBA. And so they may have to like twist or kind of do these weird movements with their Mm -hmm. neck in order to be able to do what they need to do. So is there ways in which we can either one, teach them how to do skills in a different way that's just as safe, just as effective, or on the other hand, do we need to change something? Like, you know, is there a modification that can be made to the SCBA? Is there a modification? And we're not saying that there needs to be an overhaul of what's happening, Um, you know, the gear that they have is incredible and it keeps them protected now, but can we continue to improve that? Great. Steve, I kind of want to move to nutrition now. Um, in regard to your research on nutrition and fatigue, what have you found to be the impact of nutrition on fatigue levels? So most of our work leading into what we've been doing currently has been focused on nutrition and optimizing performance. Okay. Fatigue is obviously an extension of that because your fatigue is a drop in performance. Mm -hmm. And so we're trying to identify new factors that contribute to the fatigue. And our nutrition studies have um, extended that work into fatigue. Now, the DARPA study is interesting um, because we are not manipulating nutrition. In fact... um, we're actually controlling nutrition, their food intake, standardizing it for 30 hours before every experimental trial, which is rarely done in these types of studies. It was necessary because food contaminates the breath. I was going to ask, yeah, I was going to ask if like if they ate something or drank something before, could that affect the outcome? It does. And we we brush our teeth before every single uh, breath sample and rinse and Mm -hmm. But we control food, so there's no spices and things contaminating the breath, making it more difficult to find new things. But the advantage was that you controlled nutrition, which we also know contributes to fatigue. So right now in this large study, we're controlling fatigue. But when we find these breath biomarkers, um, we can trace them where they come from. It's going to be skeletal muscle, brain, tissues in your body, and then you have an opportunity to manipulate the system through nutrition to delay fatigue. And we can find new pathways through these breath biomarkers that are part of the fatigue process, and we can look at nutritional interventions for that. So besides just taking breath and realizing fatigue levels, you're also working on figuring out what kind of food or fuel can also affect those fatigue levels. I know you're working primarily with soldiers right now, but 
what do you see long-term? If this goes where you think it might be going, how could this research affect a normal person? When, yeah, when we started the study, it, it was the largest breath study that has ever been done. But there are projects out there looking for breath biomarkers of disease, for okay. example. Mm-hmm. Um, I Because nutrition is sort of my major bias in everything I do, um, I could I could anticipate kiosks at the grocery store where you go up and breathe in and it says you're deficient in a b and c so you shop for those things so um, because of the way our study was structured we could potentially at least get some starting point to move in that direction which would be very cool because there's no real way to know if you're deficient unless you do blood draws. I was going to ask, so how do you know the accuracy of what you're doing right now? Is it comparing it to blood testing or? Well, that's coming up. Okay. Uh, we have a new study through DARPA that's going to start next summer. And um, we're calling it sleeponomics, but we're going to repeat the sleep deprivation piece and draw blood samples. And then we're going to do full lipidomics, uh, proteomics, and all the characterization of the blood. And that begins to trace where these biomarkers are coming from and look for new biomarkers as well. Great. Jenna, are there any stories that we didn't get around to that's coming out of the Huffines Institute? Any exciting news from you guys right now? Yeah, a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, first of all, we're searching for a permanent director right now. We I was going to say, we had you on last season, and yes. it was interim, and it's still interim, yes. and you're ready to find somebody who's uh, going to be the permanent. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> not that I don't love it. It's just, it, it's a lot when it's not your sure. primary position, right? You're adding into what you're already doing. So that's pretty exciting. So hopefully by the next time you do a season, you'll have a, a permanent Huffines director. Season three, we'll bring exactly. somebody new in. Perfect. We've also been, we have a faculty member here in kinesiology, Dr. Lisa Colvin, that has officiated for a lot of para-athletic events, including Paralympics. And so she's been in conversations with uh, Paralympics and other groups. We've been chatting with them about different ways that maybe Texas A&M can be involved with the work that they're doing. And one of the most exciting things that we have going on is we're actually in 2024, we're hosting a paracycling race that will be an Olympic qualifier in, in a way uh, for these individuals. So we are really stoked to have these individuals come. And then Dr. Reekman organized having a group called Aggies Invent run side by side. So that's where students would meet with these athletes and try to invent something that would improve their lives. Am I doing it right? Yeah. Yeah. Am I getting... it's, it, it's over at engineering and I've done it before when they did an Aggie invent sport. And so they're going to do an Aggie invent para, uh, para athlete. And so it's 48 hours, all out blitz. They have every tool and resource that engineering has to make and invent new things that will make their lives or performance better. Okay. Very exciting. So it's stuff. really exciting. It's yeah. Real. yeah. Yeah. We're, it took a lot of work to get here. And, um, yeah, we're, when you, you don't really think too much about para athletics in the U S but these individuals are, you know, they're elite performers. They're on the same level as your other Olympic performers that you're thinking of. And the resources for these individuals are so much less. Um, it, in the United States, especially we're not one of those countries where, our tax dollars go towards 
Olympic training and Olympic performance where some like Australia or the Netherlands, some of these other countries are leaders in these areas because they're actually devoting money in those areas. So anything that A&M can do to help in that, we're really open to it. I'm going to turn directions again real quick. I want to talk a little bit about the Southern Heat Initiative and what specific problems that is aiming to address. So uh, the Southern Heat Initiative was an idea that uh, emerged recently. Um, We are uh, seeking to build a tactical human performance laboratory, and uh, Dr. Yentes and I submitted for a lot of money Mm -hmm. to help support building that. And within that will be an environmental chamber. Mm. Um, And in the DARPA study, we studied sleep deprivation, physical and mental fatigue, but there's other sources of fatigue. And one of them is thermoregulation, um, overheating, dehydration, and those factors. So I want to explore that uh, aspect of fatigue as well. And most of the work um, on thermoregulation, the OSHA regulations are all developed in the northern climate. And I think we need to uh, band together southern researchers and conduct um, similar type experiments in people who have a lot of heat exposure. And we get plenty of heat exposure here. And so they're adapted to the heat. Um, And so we can have individualized um, recommendations. So I don't look at one standard that's for everybody, because if we followed those guidelines that were developed in the North, we would stay inside from April till October. Mm -hmm. And so clearly we are fine to go out in those months. Um, It's because we've adapted to it. So I want to develop individualized um, heat tolerance abilities. And um, so that's the major initiative with that. We've talked about a lot of research today, but I want to ask both of you, are there any new areas of research that you're excited about in the coming days? I know you kind of previewed a little bit um, earlier, but I'll give you both a chance to kind of talk about anything new that's upcoming. I'll start okay. just because the, the Southern Heat Initiative is is new. Gotcha. That's that's a big long-term mm-hmm. project that we're doing. The, the thing I haven't mentioned yet is the wearable technology that is incorporated in our study. So not only breath biomarkers, but we're putting using wearable technology to develop um, algorithms to predict fatigue. Mm. And the setup of our study is perfect for that. We're getting the breath too, but we're going to be able to do that as well. And one of the th- projects that I'm hoping to work with Jenna on is, is the motion activity that you get from the wearables um, and using that as another marker of fatigue. Mm. And, and looking for signatures within movement patterns that predict fatigue as well. Is the wearable on the wrist? Is it around the rib cage so or the heart? We use the Aura Ring, okay. the Garmin mm-hmm. watch, mm-hmm. and then the Empatica Embrace, which is a clinical trials wearable. Mm-hmm. So it has FDA approval and higher standards. Um, but the algorithms that we want to develop, we want to be agnostic to the device so that you can apply the algorithm to any device you're using. Yeah, really looking at the quality of those movement patterns. And if the quality drops, then 
maybe that's an indication of fatigue or injury or something along those lines and trying to determine, you know, so many people wear a wearable and don't really think about how it works, what it does, but your phone even has the same technologies in it. So if you put your phone in your pocket, we might even be able to determine some things based on the movement of the phone in the pocket. So yeah. Fascinating stuff. We've talked a lot about the research, everything that's going on. Um, Before we wrap up, I do want to kind of touch on students. So if a student's listening right now, maybe they're really interested in what y'all are doing. Are there ways for students to get involved at Huffines or with your research, different things like that? I think the largest piece of advice I would give is talk to your instructors. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we are humans. We, uh, we've been in your shoes. We've done the same things. And so I, I think a lot of times students maybe not put a professor up on a pedestal, but feel like maybe there's nothing in common there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you get to know them, have conversations with them, it's really critical, especially for a degree like kinesiology, if you want to do a bachelor's degree and have a career afterwards, there's other things that need to happen. You need to be a little bit more prepared. It's not like getting a BS in engineering where you have this credential after you finish and you can go on and apply for jobs with a BSE. Uh, So I think getting to know them, talking to them, most of the undergraduates that work in Huffines or work in my laboratory, I haven't gone looking for them. They've just naturally come out of another faculty member telling them to come talk to me or they've spoken to me after class or sent an email and just getting to know your faculty. They're your network. They're going to be the ones that are going to help you with your applications to wherever you're going, med school, PT school. They're going to be the ones that have a network out in industry to help you figure out how to apply for jobs, where to apply for jobs. So that's my biggest piece of advice is just go to their office hours. If their door is open, say hello. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Yeah, I'd have to agree. I think our faculty are great, and they're very open, love the students, and um, my door is always open. I have at least 20 undergraduates working in my lab, um, and everybody knocks on my door. I take an hour and talk talk it out with them and um, if it's a good fit I hire them and they work in the lab and they get really good experience awesome awesome is there anything else that y'all would like to add today before we wrap up I think one last piece of advice that I would give students is not only to talk to your faculty members but grow relationships with those around you sometimes at a school like Texas A&M with all the students that we have, and our department was one of the largest on campus. We have more undergraduates in our department than some other schools have students. Right, yeah. (laughs) And so I think getting involved and getting to know the people next to you, those are going to be individuals that you'll carry with you for the rest of your life and really enjoy the time of undergraduate. This is the only time that you get to hang out with your friends all day, (laughs) every day and see them every weekend and do all kinds of things with them. Because once you really graduate from school and you go off into your life, you don't have that opportunity anymore. And I can say personally, my three or four closest friends are either from grad school or undergraduate. And they were people that sat right next to me in class, that struggled through the same things I did, that commiserated with me, that celebrated with me. And so 
I think it's really an opportunity to make those friends. I know that the pandemic made it really hard for some of our students to get to know others in the program and get to know their colleagues and their peers. So making a concerted effort to do that, even if you're a senior, those are people that you'll carry with you for the rest of your life. So trying to make those personal connections. And I know just from working with this podcast on the move, I can tell that the kinesiology and sport management department here at Texas A&M has that close-knit family feel, even though you mentioned it is a very large department. Um, I've met some of the students, and and I can tell that they have that. So it is available. I, I would think if students are listening and you know, they're still trying to kind of find their way. It definitely has that feel to it around here. Um, I guess my final question then would be if you've got a potential student listening right now, somebody who's maybe thinking, maybe they're at A&M and they're thinking about changing a degree path, or you've got somebody who's thinking about maybe even transferring to A&M, what's your kind of elevator pitch on KNSM and why should somebody come be part of this department? So the energy is amazing. Uh, I think everybody is passionate. I think we are accelerating in the department and everything that we're doing and what we're going to be able to do. There is no better time than right now to come join our department. Yeah, it's fun. It's more, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, I don't want to say anything about any other departments or anyone else, but it's, I don't know. Learning about the human body is just fascinating to me. I mean, Granted, in sport management, you're not learning about how the body works, but you're learning about how humans interact with each other and how sport kind of ties that together. But in kinesiology, you're really learning about how the human body functions to allow you to move, which we all do. And to me, every day, I still get fascinated with that I get to do this every day and the things I get to learn. So that's my pitch. Well, Dr. Jenna Yentes and Dr. Steve Reekman, thank you so much for joining me on On The Move today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We encourage you to like and subscribe. Learn more about DARPA and the Huff Hines Institute by clicking the link below. Thank you for listening to On The Move. You can catch our episodes while you're on the move by going to Spotify, Apple, or Google. And to learn more about the Department of Kinesiology and Sport Management, head to knsm.tamu.edu. This podcast is housed in the School of Education and Human Development at Texas A&M University, where we transform lives.